Okay, Steve, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. You just answer with what you with whatever comes to mind. Okay, are you ready? I, I mean, is this really necessary? I just took an IQ test like a week ago. This is a void comp test. Uh, okay. Okay. So just relax. Okay. Continue to look into the into the camera. I'm super relaxed. I'm just going to ask you a series of questions. Everything's. I'm, I'm, there's no reason for me to be worried about this. So I'm, I am relaxed. I'm, yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. You're in a movie theater. Okay. You're watching a movie. Am, am I sitting on the aisle or am I in the middle? You're in the middle. Okay. Okay. Fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the I movie be in the middle. I never sit in the middle, but that's fine. Go ahead. Okay. The movie you're watching isn't particularly good. Okay. The gentleman sitting next to you disagrees with you and thinks that the movie is is good. Why am I sitting next to him? The gentleman next to you is talking and talking and talking about how good the movie oh my is. God, I hate that. Okay. Uh, the movie you're watching. Yeah. Is uh, cinema verite. Cinema Verite, what's that? I don't even know. I want more life. Fucker. Hello everybody and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And in this show we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation whether that reputation is good or bad and this time around we're watching a movie whose reputation is very good right steve i think that is definitely an accurate assessment yes a highly influential film that has inspired crappy crappy sci-fi films since it was first shown in 1982 (laughs) oh boy you ain't kidding where everyone thought okay so if we just reduce the lighting on our crappy cardboard sets (laughs) are you saying that people saw this movie and somehow learned the wrong lessons from it of course that's what i'm saying that's all that hollywood knows it's like oh (laughs) so we could make a future film if we just stick a guy in a trench coat add some add some awful narration Hey, Steve, what movie are we going to review this time around? Come oh, on, boy, of course. What else could we be talking about but the classic sci-fi neo-noir detective story future sci-fi future Cyberpunk. movie? What was that? Cyberpunk. Cyberpunk. Yeah, it started it that whole cyberpunk way. thing. 1982's Blade Runner. Ah, him Blade Runner. Yes. Best line in the movie. Thanks, Ridley. Thanks, Ridley. We needed that in there. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, Blade Runner, the classic sci-fi film that apparently no one really wanted to make, as near as I can tell. Ridley Scott only made it because he was getting over one of his brothers being dead. No, not Tony Scott. That won't happen for ten (laughs) more years. We're talking talking about one of his other brothers. He's had bad luck in brothers. I know, and yet he perseveres. I'm sorry, Blade Runner. I said it again. (laughs) Why are you doing that? Stop Stop that. Hey Steve, do you have any do you have any trivia about Blade Runner? Yes, I do have some trivia about Blade Runner. As a matter of fact, hooray! As, as you just alluded to, the production of Blade Runner um, was somewhat difficult. You think it's it's known as one of those movies that had kind of a fraught production. Um, the set was uh, very tense. 
There were conflicts mm-hmm. between director Ridley Scott and the crew, which always makes for a fun set. Um, and th- and his lead actor. Yeah, well, part of the problem with Ridley Scott and the crew was Ridley Scott was used to making movies in England, and then he made this movie, actually, in the United States, and mm-hmm. there are different rules. The, the union rules are different, and Ridley Scott was not used to working under American rules with an American crew, so there were he wanted to do things his way, and the crew, of course, were professionals and experienced and knew how to do things their way and there were just there were a right. lot there was a lot of just you know clashing of of of, of attitudes and egos and techniques yeah. throughout the the production so that made things difficult mm-hmm. the days were really long they would routinely have 12 13 14 hour days like of just shooting um mm-hmm. and so by the end of the production everybody was just kind of sick of everybody um there were they're con- all wet yeah, there were there were conf- yeah exactly they were all wet. <laughs> there were conflicts between Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford, as you mentioned. A Harrison ago. Ford described it as fifty days of shooting in the rain. Yeah, Har- Harrison Ford hated it. Uh, physically, he didn't he didn't enjoy it. It was not a fun environment to actually be in. Plus, he had creative differences with Ridley Scott over the movie, over his character, um, and and then Ridley Scott also didn't get along with the producers. And mm-hmm. so that is really the main reason why um, one of the things that this movie has become well known for is that there are so many different cuts of it. And the reason why there are so many different cuts of the movie, and really there are only three main ones, um, right. but that's, that's more than most movies have. <laughs> and the theatrical release... The first director's cut, right. and then what was called the final cut. The final cut. cut, because the first director's cut was not actually the director's cut, because uh, no. Ridley Scott didn't actually have control over that, but it was no. it, it was called the director's cut. Um, but uh, yeah, and then there was the final cut, which is the actual literal director's cut. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the reason that, that it went through that, uh, those all those stages of different edits, is because after principal photography was over, the producers stepped in and said, okay, we'll take it from here because of the conflicts and because they had creative differences and and they were just and like because the producers thought the audience is dumb and part of it was that too that the producers the, the producers didn't have confidence in the film getting across to an audience so they actually were who had final cut for the theatrical release and Rid- sure. and ridley scott did not like that version he, i mean he didn't like disown it he didn't say take my name off it but he made it clear that that was not his preferred version of the movie um and that's why you got subsequent cuts uh later yeah. on um he felt better <clears throat> about the movie because he gave up dune to make this and then dune came out and he felt much better about blade Runner. it was like actually blade runner came out okay <laughs> um one of the changes that the producers made was to and we're, i know we're going to talk about this during throughout the show but we might as well bring it up here since it's going to be such a, a running theme one of the uh-huh. things that the producers wanted was a voiceover uh by harrison ford's character and uh-huh. and con- unnecessary narration unnecessary well and well because here's the thing contrary to popular belief uh ridley scott and harrison ford were both open to the idea of the film having a voiceover what they didn't want was a voiceover that was simply expository 
mm-hmm. which is what the producers wanted because they felt yeah. that the audience would not understand what was happening unless it was being explained to them. And right. and that's the sort of voiceover that they put on it. And that's mm-hmm. where we get the, you know, the notoriously bad voiceover in the theatrical cut of Blade Runner, which is the one thing that even people who absolutely love the movie and think it's the best thing ever will usually admit that they could do without the voiceover. The voiceover of, yep. of the original cut of Blade Runner is, is notoriously awful. And uh, But it's not because, it, it, it's not that Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford didn't want a voiceover. They just didn't want this voiceover. <laughs> and, and I think they <laughs> and I think they were right uh, to, to not want that. There's also uh, another misconception about probably the most famous and celebrated scene in the movie, which is when uh, Roy Batty gives his his big monologue on the rooftop in the rain. And there is a, a longstanding belief among many people that Rutger Hauer improvised that, uh, which he didn't. But no. but what he did do is he took... There, there was a dialogue for Roy there in the script, but it was a lot longer, and it was very technical, and apparently... I've never read the original version, but apparently there are a lot of references in it to places like other planets and other locations in this world that the movie never goes to and aren't really important, but that Roy just kind of references as like places he's been. And, and there's a little bit of that in the, the monologue that he actually says in the movie. Um, but there was a lot more of that in the version that was written. And Rutger Howard just didn't like that. He's like, there's too much of this. Nobody's going to care about this. There's no emotional mm-hmm. you know, heart to this. So what he did was, the night before filming, he took that much longer piece and he really, really chopped it down and kept the parts that he thought worked and just decided, I'm not going to do the rest of this. And then he did add the last lines, which are probably the most well-remembered part of it. That, mm-hmm. those, that He did add those lines, but he added them the night before. He didn't just improvise it yeah. there in the moment on the set. What was the line? So long, pal, or something like that. Well, gotta skedaddle. Gotta. Something I can't remember. <laughs> gotta scoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was it. It was gotta scoot. <laughs> Welp, gotta scoot. Smell you later. <laughs> Smell you later. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it, he didn't improvise it, uh, but he did alter it from the uh, the the original as written version. And and uh, one last little bit of trivia before we move on. Um, there's a scene in the movie where Deckard goes to see Zora in her dressing room, and mm-hmm. she, and she's got a snake. Yeah. And, you know, he and uh, he says, is that a real snake? And she's like, of course, it's not a real snake. But obviously, in real life, it was a real snake. And in fact, you're kidding. I know it was a puppet. It was a puppet snake. But no, it was a real it was a real snake. And in fact, not only was it a real snake, but the snake belonged to the actress who plays Zora, Joanna Cassidy. Oh, I didn't know that. It was her snake. And the snake's name was Darling. Oh, Darling the snake. <clears throat> How nice! Yeah. Good for Joanna Cassidy. Yeah, got her. Got you know, got her snake a job. I wonder if that was a condition on hiring her. <laughs> I want my snake in the movie. <laughs> my snake needs to be in the movie. Oh, okay, we're doing a nice family drama. My snake needs to be. I want the snake in the movie. It needs to be a subplot. I want there to be a thing with snake scales, like all <laughs> through the movie. Okay, sure. <laughs> Are you done? I'm done. Are you done? You're done? I'm so done. Okay. You ready for my part? Yeah. Okay, let's do Who Made It. <laughs> it was directed by Ridley Scott. You know him. He directed other stuff. Mm-hmm. Tom Louise, Alien. Yep. Legend. What else? Gladiator. Uh, Prometheus. Gladiator. 
um, stuff. You know him. He's made movies. He has indeed. Some people really, really love his work. I think maybe too much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad director. I'm not saying he he makes some visually stunning films. Oh, absolutely. Films. He's a, Yeah, he's a very talented director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Screenplay by Hampton Francher. And uh, he helped write um, Blade Runner 2049, and he did a lot of TV. Also, David Peoples, who co- who co-wrote Unforgiven mm-hmm. and Twelve Monkeys. So that's quite a that's quite a career. <laughs> that's not bad. Blade Runner, Unforgiven, Twelve Monkeys. Yep. That's not bad. No. Range. Produced by mm-hmm, produced by Michael Dealey, and uh, he also produced movies like The Italian Job and Deer Hunter. He went from Deer Hunter to Blade Runner. Uh, yeah, again, some, there's so some proud. range there. Yeah. Starring Harrison Ford as Rick Deckard. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Hey, Steve. Yeah. He wasn't the only person that they were considering for the part. He wasn't? Yeah, you want to know who, who else they considered? My goodness, who else did they consider? Gene Hackman. Oh, wow. Stop right there. Wow. Done. I'd be done. I'd be done. Gene Hackman, great. Put him in there. Get me Hackman. <laughs> get me Hackman. Put him in here. I want him to. I want to see him getting that fight with with uh, Roy Batty at the end of the oh, film. Oh yes. Okay, they did more than just Gene Hackman. <clears throat> Sean Connery, mm. Jack Nicholson, Wow, Paul Newman, mm. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> wow. Where am I? What is this place? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't look like L.A. I hate noodles. <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. That's now that's interesting. This one baffles me. Arnold Schwarzenegger. That would have been different. <laughs> that would have been super different. Could you imagine? The voiceover would literally be in someone else's and, and, voice. And don't forget Arnold Schwarzenegger in nineteen eighty three. Nineteen eighty two. Like yeah. <laughs> okay, this one okay. Yeah. Clear your plate. Okay, I'm ready. I need you to know it? if you have room in your brain for okay. this. Okay, oh boy. This is this is bigger than Schwarzenegger? <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's bigger than okay. Schwarzenegger. Okay. Someone was thinking big. Peter Falk. Oh my God. Oh my God. It would be Columbo in the future. Wow. Excuse me, pardon me, pardon me, excuse me. <laughs> Did you say that the lady had a snake? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, he he would always have the same ending to the, you know, the the VK test. Mm -hmm. He would be like, (laughs) I just have one more question. (laughs) Does she know she's an android? (laughs) (laughs) And also, that's a much different scene when when Peter Falk forces uh, Rachel to kiss him. Oh, that's yeah. I don't I don't even know Mm -hmm. if Peter Falk could make that likable. Mm -hmm. Nick Nolte. I mean, back in the day, I, I mean, some of these I can I, like. Obviously, some of these would have been just by necessity. You want to see Nick very... Nolte grumble wine his way through this movie? No, I don't. Oh, goddamn, run, Androids! Oh, jeez, goddamn it! <laughs> I want, I want like present day Nick Nolte to remake this. <laughs> Al Pacino. Okay. Uh... Mm-mm. And Burt Reynolds. Oh, boy. I'm not done yet. Oh, my God. There are two actors where talks fell apart. Oh, okay. They wrote the character with Robert Mitchum 
in mind. Wow. 68-year-old. I don't know how old Robert Rich was yeah, in 1982. Yeah, older than Harrison Ford was. <laughs> but they were like, it's film noir. We'll put a classic film noir guy in I there. Can, we'll get I, Robert Mitchum to do it. I can kind of see that, but I mean, yeah. That's the problem. You can kind of see that. He wouldn't know what the hell was going on. What am I hunting again? Um, androids. Oh, like a robot? Well, no. They but look I like mean, people. They're, bio-engin- they're bioengineered. Bio, uh-huh. bio what's it? <laughs> and the last one, talks fell apart because he kept wanting to change the script and what the movie was about. Dustin Hoffman. Oh, my fucking God. <laughs> I mean... It sounds like they were just, like, anybody? Anybody. Can anybody be in this, please? I just need an actor in this role, please. (laughs) They wanted Dustin Hoffman to play Rick Deckard. And I'm like, what what was the thinking behind that? Number one, everyone is going to have to work in a trench, and he's going to work on an apple apple box. (laughs) They'll build, like, a little, you know, a fashion runway ramp for him to walk on. (sighs) <sighs> Rutger Hauer as Roy Batty there wasn't anybody else in fact even even uh, um, oh I forgot this part the movie's based on Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick yeah and as far as Philip K. Dick was concerned Rutger Hauer was perfect yeah. for the part um, but you guys know him from Lady Hawk and Sin City and Batman Begins and Hobo with a Shotgun and Hobo with a Shotgun <laughs> Sean Young as Rachel, and she was in Stripes, and Dune, and Wall Street, and she kind of got blacklisted. We've gone over it before. She did nothing wrong. Yes. She did nothing wrong. Edward James almost as Gaff, and you know him from Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. And Miami Vice? Uh, yeah, he yes. was on Miami yes. Vice. Uh, e. Emmett Walsh as Bryant, and we all know E. Emmett Walsh. He's in everything. I don't need to re- repeat what he's been in doing. No, he's, he's been in tons of stuff. Raising Arizona, yeah. but, you know, just tons of stuff. You'll recognize him the minute you see he's him. He's in all those Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. Daryl Hannah as Pris. Guess who turned down the role as Pris? Who turned down the role? Perpetually coked out Debbie Harry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> William Sanderson is J.F. Sebastian. Guess who they were talking to first to play J.F.? Oh, boy, who? Little Joey Pants. Really? Joe Pantoliano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys know William Sanderson from Newhart, mm-hmm. Deadwood, and a ton of other shit. Brian Janes as Leon Kowalski. He's another one of those guys. He's been in everything. Yep. If you're looking for a skeevy bad guy... <laughs> Look, the, he's usually that skeevy bad guy. <laughs> Joe Turkell is Eldon Tyrell, and we saw him in Paths of Glory. Yeah, and he did a ton of stuff, but nothing as big as Paths of Glory or this movie. Joanna Cassidy is Zora Salome, and she—you guys probably know her better as um, what's her name and Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Dolores. She was the Dolores. Yeah. Thank you. Um, she was also in Six Feet Under. James Hong as Chu. We don't. <laughs> Everything. He's done that. You guys remember him from Big Trouble in Little China and like every movie ever can made. I, he's been and in And can I, can I tell you this? And this is the absolute truth, and I did not plan this at all. This morning, I watched a random episode of MacGyver with James Hong. And he's in it. it. Of course he is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
I don't know which part we're not supposed to be surprised at that you woke up in the in the morning and the first thing you did was turn on an old MacGyver episode. <laughs> Staggered or half that James naked Hone. into the living room, turned on the TV, <laughs> much watch MacGyver. <laughs> It'll make the pain go away. <laughs> Solve my problems, Mac. <laughs> Please take out take out Take out your pocket knife. Take out your Swiss Army knife. Just please solve all my problems. Show me how to escape from the trap of my life. There's a knife in there, MacGyver. (laughs) (laughs) Morgan Paul is Dave Holden, and he was in Patton and uh, GoBots Battle of the Rock Lords. Oh, hell yeah. And, and, Ma, 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 Mitchell. Oh, hell yes. (laughs) Classic. Our fans who have never watched MST3K have no idea. Did he just have a stroke saying Mitchell? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. Sorry. High Pike as Taffy Lewis, and he is in such classics as Vamp and Hack-O-Lantern. <laughs> Hack-O-Lantern. I'm here all week. Cinematography by what? Oh, you you were doing like a Johnny Carson there. Yeah, it was Hack-O-Lantern. <laughs> Cinematography by Jordan Cronweth, Cronweth, and uh, he's shot Altered States, Peggy Sue Got Married, and The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Hey, hey. Edited by Terry Rawlings, who has also edited Watership Down, Alien, and Chariots of Fire. So that's a pretty good resume right there. <laughs> <laughs> Also co-edited, Marsha Nakashima. Nothing. I could find nothing. I don't know what she was. why she's in there. Music by Vangelis, which isn't a band. It's a guy. It's a person. A Greek guy whose name I cannot pronounce, so I didn't write it down, but he also did the soundtrack for Chariots of Fire. Production companies, The Lad Company, dead. <laughs> this movie helped kill it. The Shaw Brothers, also dead. Didn't have anything to do with this movie, though. Just they, a coincidence. They just kind of, yeah. Blade Runner Partnership made for this movie. Distributed by Warner Brothers. Release date, June 25th, 1982. Running time, 117 minutes. Box office, $30 million. Adjusted for inflation, $85.9 million. Box office, $41.5 million or $186.6 million. So it wasn't the commercial flop that a lot of people think it was, but apparently it just didn't make enough money. And everyone thought it was a failure. It made its money back, fuckos. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) It did not meet expectations. Yeah, it didn't catch on fire like the other 1982 movies, Conan the Barbarian, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, and Tootsie. (laughs) Cut it some slack. It was 1982. Everything came out that year. You think you could compete against that? Hey, let's watch this bleak, kind of slow-paced um, sci-fi movie. That, Do we that have is to? a riff yeah, on film gonna... noir. <laughs> oh, that'll bring that'll put butts in the seats. <laughs> All right, Steve, you ready yeah. to do this? You ready to recap the plot of Blade Runner? It won't take long. So it's so influential. <laughs> no, it won't take long. There's not a whole lot of plot in this fucking movie. <laughs> There is not. There's a whole lot of, hey, you know, if you you shoot this apartment nice, it looks really cool. All right, Steve. Yeah. You ready? Ready. Okay. I got my uh, PPK. 
which is the handgun that that he has that I've wanted a replica of forever, but they're pricey. No, you can't just make one. Yeah, let's hop on our spinner because that's the name of the flying cars, and let's me and you drive past Coca Cola signs ah. and a whole bunch of companies that don't exist anymore. <laughs> And let's just, fuck it, let's take the blimp to the off-world colonies. I'm done. Let's, I wanted I'm to done. go. Yeah, let's go. Did they make it sound real cool? I know. Have an adventure. Apparently, there are geisha girls taking birth control pills there. Oh, buddy. <laughs> and let's me and you run into the world of Blade Runner. Steve? Yes? You're watching Blade Runner. How do you feel about that? Oh, well... <laughs> I'm about to tell you. Um, there's a there as as all great exciting action adventure movies do. Uh, this begins with a text crawl. Mm-hmm. That it, mm-hmm. that exp- boy, they really felt like this that, needed to have some exp- some some explanation. That they, has survived all three versions. They they they're like we're going to start with an opening text crawl, and we need there to be a voiceover too. <laughs> like we really don't think people are going to get this. Nope. Um, nope, nope, nope. But yeah, but the, the text crawl explains that there's these things called replicants, and they're androids, mm. but they look exactly like people, and the newest... Gen- because they're bioengineered. They're bioengineered, and the newest generation, I mean, it's hard to tell the difference between them and people. Um, and they're supposed to just work on the outer colonies, because uh, something bad happened a little while ago where a bunch of them like broke bad and killed some people, so they they were banned on on earth and they're only right, supposed to work Picard, <laughs> you fucking hacks you you fucking hacks you stole your plot from blade runner congratulations way to go kurtzman you feel better a little bit you get it off your chest Just a little bit yeah i got my off my chest in case anyone's wondering picard stole the plot from blade runner Picard didn't steal anything from Blade Runner. Anyway, Picard's so <laughs> any, anyway, it turns out the Romulans were behind the replicas. Wait, are you telling me people. that there's an android running around in, in Picard that doesn't know it's an android? <laughs> I don't see what that has to do with with Blade Runner. Let's face this face facts. If Blade Runner and Mass Effect had not existed, there would be no plot to Blade, to Picard at all. Anyway, well, they, they, so a, a boo-boo happened, and yeah. replicants are forbidden on Earth. Right, but uh, some of them end up on Earth anyway. And in order to find the replicants that are illegally on Earth, there are these special teams of cops called Blade Runners who are trained and, and sort of given the responsibility of finding the, the secret replicants. And if they find a replicant, they're supposed to execute it on site, except it's not right. called execution. It's called, it called it's called retirement. They could still find a better word for that. They really could. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with execution? It makes it sound badass. They should call it nap time, nap time. or something. It's nap time, replicant. <laughs> So we cut away from that, and now we see the vast cityscape of Los Angeles. Yes. Boy, boy. Los Angeles, boy, 2019. <laughs> mm-hmm. November. November. It's important that we know it's November. Yes. Because, you know, everyone's getting ready for Thanksgiving. It's very important. they got to get the replic- They're getting their replicated turkeys. Yeah, the, you the know. holiday spirit is in the air, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Already the Christmas decorations are being sold at all the major department stores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we keep cutting to an eyeball that's reflecting what they're saying. Yes. Whose eyeball is that? 
Um, is it Leon's? Is it Leon's? I don't know. Uh, I think it might because because Leon is that we, we we zoom in. We eventually find ourselves in the office of of, of uh, the the. And he does mean eventually. We zoom in. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. There's lots of zoom in. We, we, we get we get a nice little tour of of, of this version it, of Los Angeles. We don't even get a tour. We're just flying over there, big exhaust things blowing fire into the sky. We don't know if it's night or day. It looks like night, doesn't it? I think it's, yeah. I mean, it looks like night to me. It looks like night all the time. <laughs> it's an awfully dark city, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. And we cut to the Tyrell Corporation, and there we see what's his name. Yeah, well, there's he, yeah. He's a Blade Runner. He's a Blade Runner. Um, Holden, and and he. Good. No, you do it. I'm tired. <laughs> he's giving. I'm he's, tired. He's there with Leon, who is a, who is I'm a, tired <laughs> carrying these fucking shows on my back. <laughs> he's there with Leon, who is a new employee. <laughs> And, and mm. he's giving him the Voight comp test, which is like a Turing test to see if he's a replicant or not. That's right. And they get a close-up of his eyeball that tracks something. Yeah. Pupil response. Yeah. And he asks him a bunch of questions. He's like, are you circumcised? And he's like, what? Uh, I don't. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Whatever I you're mean, supposed to came, say, sure. When I, when, I, when I came out of the pod. Oops. I, I checked. And... Uh, they said, welcome to the world, replicant. And they gave me a gun, and they sent me to war. I don't... Anyway, what was the question? What are you testing me for? <laughs> well, so it turns out that uh, Leon's a replicant, because uh, Holden asks him a question about his mother, and Leon says... Well, and also, they don't, they don't have metal detectors in the future, because <laughs> he's somehow smuggled a gun up his ass <laughs> to get into this goddamn... To get into this, to shoot, what's his name? Right? Yeah, he, he shoots him under the table, just like Han Solo does famously in Star Wars. That's right. And he's like, boom, boom. And then we do a dramatic cut to the streets of Los Angeles. Yeah. And there's lots of people, and it's raining constantly. And there we see our hero, Rick Decker, and he's, he's reading this weird thing. In the future, yeah, it's like it's like it's made got, out of paper. <laughs> yeah, like what is he doing with that? You know what's so great about this? <laughs> what? It's it's 2019. Yeah, yeah. The world's gone to shit, right? There's no sky. Everything is neon and awful. But it's the stuff that they got wrong. Like he, like okay, Rick Deckard is sitting there reading a newspaper. Mm -hmm. What's that? I don't have time to tell the younger people what a newspaper is. Yeah. They just don't really exist anymore. It's like a website, but not as good. Half of the companies that they reference in the movie are gone. Yep. And there's not a single cell phone. Nope. There's not a laptop. There's nothing. They have video payphones, like like in yes. 2001: A Space Odyssey. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, I think it's lunchtime or dinner time or breakfast. I it, I don't know. It's noodle time, is what it is. It's it's noodle o'clock. It's noodle o'clock, <laughs> baby. Deckard wants his noodles. But someone walks up to him, and that's Gaff. Yeah. And he's speaking some weirdo language that's like a combination of 19 different languages. And he's like, you got to come into the office. And you're like, okay. He's like, fine. Yeah. Whatever. Because Deckard is, Deckard is an ex-Blade Runner. Yeah. He's stopped doing yeah. it for some reason. Yeah. Then they get into their flying car and they fly across the city. And then they fly to the Los Angeles trains terminal because that's where they filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> And he meets what's his name? Yeah, Bryant. Uh, 
Bryant, and Bryant's like, okay, listen, um, there's there's a bunch of there's a bunch of replicants that escaped, and they're like dangerous, and um, you need to kill them. I mean, deactivate. I mean, nappy time. Nappy time, though. And he's yeah. like, and he's kind of thanks to the narration because we wouldn't pick it up because <laughs> <laughs> it's so subtle. You see, yeah. They tell us that he's like a bigot. Yeah. Because <laughs> he keeps calling them skin jobs. Yeah, yeah. Right? And he's like, we need you to find these skin jobs, and we need to take the bullets from your gun, and you need to put them inside of them <laughs> so that they fall over and they not be alive. I mean, that they're, so that they stop, so that they stop moving, okay? They have blood and they have guts. They're basically <laughs> they're people. Basically We've been people. making people. <laughs> And for whatever reason, he agrees, right? Yeah. He's like, well, okay, I guess I'll do it. I'll do it. No biggie. So then we get another flying car ride to the Tyrell Corporation because he says there's Ty- you need to go talk to Tyrell because these are, what are they, Nexus 6 androids? Yeah, the most advanced uh, generation, at least the, that people know about. Yeah. Yeah, the only problem with them is that they develop personalities and they hate the fact that they can only live four years. Yeah. Well, actually, isn't the four years... The, they, they added the four years thing because the problem with the replicants is, yeah, they they eventually they start to resent the fact that they're basically slaves and and, yeah. they, and they start killing people because, you know, hey, right. this, sucks. Um, so, this sucks. So they build them to only have a four-year lifespan. So hopefully they'll die before they, before they get smart enough to start killing people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it doesn't seem like a very, very good system yeah but he's gonna go to the tyrell corporation to try the voight comp test on one of the nexus sixes that they have there yeah which isn't fair because he gets there right we actually get to see the sun briefly um <laughs> and he meets ray and he meets tyrell and he's a guy with big old coke bottle glasses oh. and he's like i'm rich and i make people and i kill them it's great i love it i'm i'm super smart i'm a genius I'm a, i designed their brains i'm a good good man meet rachel try the test out on her and rachel's a super sexy 1940s lady yeah and he sets up the voight company starts asking her a bunch of questions like are you free tonight <laughs> How do you feel about dating a cop? (laughs) (laughs) But he's bored, and he keeps asking her questions. She seems very impatient while she's smoking a cigarette. And then, you know, Tyrell comes up and says, Okay, you can leave. And Decker's like, She doesn't know she's an android. And he's like, I know. Isn't Isn't it great? (laughs) Isn't it great? She'll just die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and Tyrell explains that Rachel is different from the other replicants because he found another way to avoid the whole they go crazy and start killing people problem, um, which is to just give her memory implants so that she. Yeah, of his nieces. Yeah, so that she thinks that she's a, a regular human she doesn't know that she's a replicant mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so then they go to the apartment where they last saw uh leroy leon no leon. leon yeah and he walks around and he picks up a little scale and he puts it in a ziploc bag and uh that's that's great and he's looking around and he finds a whole bunch of pictures right yeah and then we cut to roy oh Batty. roy and he meets leon and he's like did you get your stuff? And he's like, there were cops there, and I didn't want to go. I'm sorry. And he's like, that's okay. We got to go see the eye guy. 
And then they go on the eye guy, and it's 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 what's his name? James Hong. <laughs> it's James Hong, and he's wearing yeah. he's in a refrigerated room, and he's happy in his work. Yeah. And then they torture him a little bit by taking off his coat, and he's freezing, and he's like, um, "Who can I talk to about you know making me live longer than four years?" <laughs> basically. <laughs> yeah, basically. I kind of like to make that happen if possible. It would it be cool, and. Um, he gives him Sebastian's name. Yeah. R.S. Sebastian. We come back. Oh, boy. We come back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, Decker is coming back and he gets in the elevator. And uh, Rachel's in the elevator and pulls a gun on her because he's paranoid. Yeah. And she comes upstairs. And uh, is this where he tells her? He tells her her own childhood hey. memories. Yeah. Right. And then he sees that he's hurt her feelings. And tries to back out of it. That don't work. No. She's like... <laughs> she's upset. Yeah, yeah. And she leaves. So then we get the longest scene in the fucking movie. Well, not yet. So we <laughs> cut from that scene. And then we see Daryl Hannah. And she's sleeping in garbage. And she meets R.S. Sebastian. Who's this kind of little... Kind of cute guy. Don't get used to him. They kill him. They, we don't see it. But they kill him. Yeah. Uh, Roy kills him probably. And uh, he says, come on up. And we go up in a gloomy building. <laughs> and he says, come on in. I make my own friends. And what he means is he makes biological creatures that don't have the intelligence of the Nexus 6, but they are obviously alive. Yes, they're people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a little general teddy yeah. bear and a little general guy with a long nose. And he's like, well, you can stay here until you see your friends. Because she says that she's lost and she's hungry and and oh oh no my pussy can you see it and she's and he's like no, i wasn't paying attention but you know oh my clothes came off this didn't happen but i mean but it could have and now we get the longest scene of police work ever put to film <laughs> where deckard is doing some detective work that's right he puts a picture inside of this machine and if you like this sound Right, two and four degrees. Click, 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 click. It goes on for, I don't know, five minutes? Ten minutes? Until the end of your life? Yeah. Anyway, it's, so it's he goes all around. It's vital that we witness this entire process. And he finds a picture. He gets a picture out of the picture of Zora. Yeah. Right? Then he takes his snake scale to a street geneticist. Yeah. Because they have those. <laughs> and he makes... He makes animals, and he's like, is it a fish? And he's like, no, it's a snake scale. And I was like, okay. And so now he goes to a strip club. The end. <laughs> he goes to a strip club. And what happens, Steve? Uh, he goes backstage. Cause one, of the, one of the dancers there is, is Zora, uh, who he's yeah. looking for. And he goes backstage, and for some reason, he disguises his voice, even though she's never seen Wait, him before. But the, but and the, he pro- the best thing in the movie is in this scene. <laughs> it's the MC. Oh, yeah. Where he goes, watch her. Uh, what is it? Extract the pleasures from the serpent. <laughs> he loves his work. Mm-hmm. He disguises himself as a union representative. Yeah, or something like that. He, he He's worried that she's being exploited in her job, you think? And, uh... <laughs> and he follows her back into her dressing room. Yeah. And she says, don't look at my naked body. Because he's talking about how they drill peepholes to take pictures and to look at to look at her, yeah. right? 
And she's like, whatever, I'm going to take a shower. And she takes a shower, and he's still talking in this character. And she comes out, and she's naked more. And then she says, dry my back. And as soon as he takes the towel to dry her back, she she punches him in the elbows him in the gut. Yeah. And then tries to strangle him with a tie. And then other performers come in, and she runs off. Yep. And he chases her. And and he chases her and chases her and chases her and then finally he gets a good shot and he shoots her like 15 times yeah and then she runs through she, all the windows in town uh, every single one of them and then and now she's dead and and so guess who's there <laughs> leon's yeah, there yeah leon don't like that leon's there and uh what's his name his boss oh bryant uh, yeah Brian shows up and he says, "Good job, you're a one-man killing machine." <laughs> Good killing, Decker. I know you've only you've killed one. Um, anyway, so this is a little this is a little confusing. He says, "One, one more to go." Yeah, and that's not right. No. And he said, "No, three. And he goes, "Actually, four. And I'm like, "Then why did you say one? Don't ask me, Deckard. I don't know what I say half the time. I'm drunk. <laughs> no, you said one more to go, and then you had to be corrected, and then you corrected me. So which is it? Is it one or four or I'm three? I'm confused. <laughs> but now he has to go kill who? Uh, well, Rachel. Because Rachel, Rachel, yeah. they say Rachel is, is the other one because she has disappeared. And he's like, you got to kill her too. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. The one that doesn't know she's an android, she's run off too. Yep. I'm not implying that it's your fault. Well, it is your fault. You, what did you do? What did you say to her, Deckard? Did you tell her? Did you tell her she's an android? She couldn't handle it. That's my Decker. Anyway, <laughs> just kill her. See you later. He takes off, and Leon shows up. Yeah, and Leon's like, "I'm gonna kill yeah, you, you're, but I- first I'm gonna talk a lot." <laughs> <laughs> and just before he's about to poke out his eyes, he's gonna he's gonna kill Decker like a three one of the three Stooges. Yeah, he's, exactly. He's gonna. He's if gonna one of the three Stooges went mad. <laughs> <laughs> But then a big hole pops up in his head. Oh, he has a big boo boo. Yeah, he has a huge yeah, boo boo. Yeah, because he got he got shooted. Yeah, and who shooted who shooted <gasps> him? It was Rachel. It's Rachel. So then we go back to uh, uh, his apartment and we spend three and a half hours it's there. Sure, as near as I it can sure tell. It sure feels that way. What happens? Well, what happens? They chat a little. Uh, Rachel asks Deckard if he's ever taken the VK test himself. Hmm, why why mm. would she ask him that? I um, know. Uh, I don't believe in that shit. Stop And it. he's like, whatever, <laughs> shut up, no. Have you ever killed a... No, that was the previous conversation. Yeah. Have you ever killed a human by mistake? Oh, that's right, yes. Yeah, she, have you ever retired a human accidentally? And he's like, no. Why, mm. what have you heard? <laughs> did someone say anything? I could have sworn my wife was one. That's uh, why I did it. <laughs> She failed the test. I don't know what to say. I mean, she fell down the stairs. She hit her face. She hit her head in the door frame. I, I, anyway, shut up. Shut up. Kiss me. Yeah. Just imagine that. Now, yes, because he goes to sleep. She's still there. He wakes up to her playing the piano. He takes her hair down. Um, she tries to leave. He uh, slams the door and forcibly kisses her, even though she's saying no. Yep. And um, now he ins- he orders her to kiss him. She looks terrified, but she does it anyway, and it's love. Yay, our hero. <laughs> and that only took 20 minutes. 
cut to J.S. Sebastian's apartment. Pris has uh, decided that she wants to look like one of the Joker's henchmen. Yep. And put white makeup all over her face and black around the eyes. And uh, she's talking to J.S. and who shows up? <gasps> Roy. That's right, it's Roy. And J.S. goes off and goes, I'm going to go away now. And he goes away, and then Roy has to tell Pris that both Leon and uh, the other one. Zora. <laughs> Zora are both dead. They seem kind of upset about that, and they kiss, because I guess they're in love. I guess, yeah. And uh, Roy's really not subtle in asking for what he wants. And he's like, so... You play chess with Tyrell? Uh-huh. Yeah, I want to go and see him. What? No. And then Sebastian guesses that they're both androids. Yep. And they show off by grabbing hot, hot boiled eggs and doing some flips and jumps. And Roy is like, hey, I'm kind of implying if you don't get me in to see Tyrell, I'll kill you. Yeah. Jazz doesn't feel good about that, but then we cut to the Tyrell Corporation. And Tyrell is sitting in his comfy bed. And he's, he, he's like, I don't know, eating cookies, drinking milk, and watching <laughs> porn. I don't know what he's doing. And J.S. calls him from the elevator, and he says, because they're playing this chess game remotely, right? Right, right. And J.S. says, I've only beaten him once. He's really smart. And so Roy is whispering what moves to make in the in the elevator. And he's like, okay, come on up. I'll see you. And doopy-doo, it's Roy. Roy. It's Roy, everybody. And what does Roy want? He wants more life, fucker. That's right. They changed that to the later ones. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they changed they, it. In the says, later ones, they changed it to father, yeah, which is what he actually says. Yeah, which is a f- such a... It's, I want more life, fucker, is such a better line. <laughs> actually, it changes the tone a little bit because he's approaching him deferentially and he he just doesn't start angry you know what i mean i know like, but i want more life fucker is the best line in the movie up to this point and i'm dying for a good line by now i'm just <laughs> like oh good roy's here roy's back it's gonna pick roy's up now. back <laughs> the good lines and the weird behavior oh boy <laughs> and tyrell's like can't do it sorry yeah we've tried it. but there's different once once you're made the way you are you're stuck that way sorry no, nothing works. Um, you should be happy with whatever you got. And uh, <laughs> and Roy's like, well, I hope you've been happy with what you've got, because guess what? You're a walnut. <laughs> I like you because you're a walnut. <laughs> and Roy crushes his head and gouges out his eyeballs. He sure does. <clears throat> and JF is like, oh, maybe I should have left. <laughs> That's not good. And they employ Roy kills him. And... For whatever reason, Decker now has a lead on J.S. Sebastian. Can't remember how he got it, but he's showing up at J.F.'s house. And he goes up there, and he's wandering around inside. And there's all these weird, freaky toys. And then Pris attacks him. Yeah, because Pris is disguised as one of the toys. She's, like, got that makeup on, and she's, like, under, like, a sheer sheet and just sitting still like a doll. And when he gets close to her, she attacks him. Right. And he's doing all these flips, and she's doing all these flips and jumps. And then he shoots her, and she breaks in a weird way. (laughs) (laughs) Where she's just kicking her arms and legs and screaming, and then he shoots her again. And now she's dead. And Roy comes home, and he's not looking good. No, his hands don't look good. Yeah. His hands keep clutching up. And his fingernails are like purple and, and going bad. And uh, 
he uh he's not terribly happy to see Pris dead, is he? No, to say the least. He kisses her and then he grabs he grabs Deckard's arm through a wall with his gun in it, takes the gun out, breaks two of his fingers, then gives him his gun back. Right? Yeah. And then says, I'm going to give you a head start. And now we just watch Roy get crazier and crazier. <laughs> if you like seeing Harrison Ford chased desperately through an abandoned building. Chased and in pain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Roy's head smashes through a wall. It's obvious that it's very obviously that Roy's body is breaking down yeah. at this point. And there's nothing he can do. He can. There's nothing he can really do about it. He's not looking good. They chase him up to the roof, um, and Decker tries to jump for it. He doesn't do a good job. <laughs> He's hanging off the side of the building. Roy comes up, jumps all the way, makes it easily because if we haven't mentioned it, androids are, are you know they're really they're good at like jumping and not being cold and not being terribly <laughs> hot and being strong, right? Yeah, they're just awesome and, generally, right? And so. He's standing over Deckard, and he's slipping, and then he slips off, and what does Roy do? He catch, he catches him and picks him up. With one arm. With one yeah. arm, and he, he says, quite an experience to live in fear, isn't it? That's what mm-hmm. it's like to be a slave. Yep. And thankfully, they never gave Harrison Ford any dialogue. No. Which no I'm sure he was fine with. Yeah, I'm sure he was. Roy gives a, a, a sad speech. Mm-hmm. As he's dying, about how all the things he experienced are just going to, you know, don't mean anything to anybody. Yeah. And then he says, time to die. And he dies. And Gaff is on the other roof. And he says what? Uh, he says, it's a shame she has to die. Or it's a, it's a shame she won't live. But then again, who does? And that freaks out Deckard. Yeah. He runs back to his apartment where he left, I guess, the sexually gratified Rachel there. <laughs> he, uh, they get dressed. They get all dressed. They are getting ready to go. They're beating cheeks. And as he's leaving, what does he see? Uh, well, did we mention that Gaff makes little origami things? We didn't. Who, who cares? Anyway, Gaff makes yeah, he, little weird things. Gaff makes little origami <laughs> things and, and leaves in places that he's been. And as they're right. on their way to the elevator, Deckard sees a little origami unicorn indicating mm-hmm. that Gaff has been there, but that he didn't kill he Rachel. Didn't, he didn't kill Rachel. Yeah. And, um, and just in case you don't get that, the voiceover explicitly says that like two seconds later. Because well, yeah, but I mean, they show it. They show the the unicorn. You hear Gaff said, "Yeah, it's too bad she won't live." But then again, who does? Yeah, he crumples it up. He gets in the elevator to shut the elevator door. And if you're watching the good cut of this movie, the movie is over. That's the end. Yeah. If you're watching the shitty cut of this movie, we get um, landscape scenes in the, <laughs> the mountains the that super were happy actually. Ending. <laughs> that were bar that were borrowed from from The Shining. Yep, from yeah. Stanley Kubrick. Scott called him and said, "Hey, we need some stuff. Do you have the stuff?" And he said, "Oh, we have acres." <laughs> I spent nine days in a helicopter shooting, shooting I, stuff. I shot a little more than I needed. <laughs> <laughs> they cut back to the interior of the car. Everybody's happy. And what is the, what is the voiceover say, Steve? Oh, it turns out Rachel's not going to die after all. She's a new kind of replicant that doesn't have a built-in lifespan. Who told him that? 
Uh, Tyrell? I, guess? I hate to tell you this, but Ty- Tyrell's head has been popped like a balloon. <laughs> who, 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 who told him this? Was it Rachel? Did she <laughs> Rachel, know? She Rachel, didn't even know she was a fucking android. Ra- Rachel said, oh, I found my owner's manual. It turns out I'm not going <laughs> to die. You just have to flip the switch from four years to infinite. <laughs> it's an easy fix. <laughs> you stick a paper clip in a little hole. Uh-huh. And then that's it, right? End of movie. Fade out, end of movie. Hey, Steve. Yeah, man. How do you feel about this classic movie, this film noir classic movie with long stretches of nothing? Everyone that went in to see this movie thought it was an action adventure film. Is it? No. What is it, Steve? What is this? Not even film noirs have long stretched out scenes of nothing. It is. I mean, when you put it that way, it's difficult to answer that question because... Yeah. Like, I mean, it's easy to say what it is stylistically, mm-hmm. but yeah. in terms of like story, yeah, it's, 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 it's a little more complicated. Um, this is, th- this is two shows in a row where we have reviewed movies that are just considered cinematic landmarks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Blade Runner is anywhere near as influential or important to the development of the cinematic art as Battleship Potemkin, no. which helped to progress the basic language of filmmaking. Of film, right. <laughs> um, but it's still, I mean, Blade Runner is, uh, I mean, obviously, it's uh, its one of the most influential films of the last 40 or 50 years. You know, yes. if, if you if you watch Blade Runner and, you know, you are any kind of a movie fan, like, you see the influence it's had immediately. Um, mm-hmm. So many different and and not just in movies. I mean, it's influenced comic books, anime. Uh, it's um, taught in in film school now. Yeah, I mean, it's influenced video games. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's it's. Oh Jesus! Did it influence? Oh my God! It's it's been it's influenced almost pretty much any any kind of visual storytelling. Uh, it has had an influence on. Um, and I mean, you think of the movies, I mean, like, uh, Tim Burton's Batman, the crow, the mm-hmm. matrix, dark city that I mentioned during our, dark city, yeah. I mean, you know, there are, there are, there are scenes, some of those, uh, interiors of dark city when they're go, when they're like in an apartment, um, they literally look like scenes from blade runner. Yep. Uh, I mean, the, the dark city definitely has a lot of blade runner influence. Um, so it's it's an it's a really influential movie, and there's a good reason for that. It is a beautifully made film. The cityscapes, the set design, the cinematography are all fantastic. It's um, exquisitely realized. It's fascinating to look at. But I have always found it to be a film that I admire more than I like. Um, it's not quite the level of detachment that I feel for uh, Tron, where I right. was, where I was like incredibly impressed by the visuals, but I had no interest at all in the story or the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it is on that spectrum. The story is, um, you know, it's a film noir detective story, and and Harrison Ford fits very comfortably into that role of the the sort of rumpled, world weary detective. Um, Sean Young is very good as the Dame. You know, yeah. uh, Rutger Hauer is fantastic as Roy. Uh, the The supporting, I mean, the acting is good. The supporting performances are all good. It's well directed. It looks great. Uh, the The few action scenes that there are 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 well staged. But you know, for most of the movie, I'm just not emotionally invested in anything that's happening. Uh, Deckard is hunting these rogue replicants. I don't really care if he catches them or not. Um, the replicants themselves, despite their brutality, are positioned 
at least theoretically, to be somewhat sympathetic. I mean, they're they're, they're more sympathetic than the human characters. Yeah, they're they're members of this persecuted class, you know, and they're looking for ways to extend their lives. Like they're struggling to accept and and overcome their own mortality. Like that's a really sympathetic motivation, you know. Um, but ultimately, like except for Roy, I don't really care if they get what they want either. Um, and, you know, there are hints here and there in the film that Deckard himself is a replicant. Again, I don't really care either way like that. That I know for for some like big fans. That is the, a fucking fan theory. And a lot of fans are like super into that. I, I honestly could not care less. Like when when, mm -hmm. when when Rachel brings that up and she says, have you ever taken the test? Like, I'm not. That's not a moment where I'm like, oh, you know, like, what if? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care. Maybe he is. Maybe the he fan, isn't. I don't the care. The fan theory became strengthened with the. Uh, with the recuts, with yeah. the, when they came out. Because they added some things in there that are kind of hard to figure out. And the big thing is, in, in the re-releases, um, they put back in a dream sequence that Decker is having about a unicorn. And they tie that in with the unicorn the that's unicorn. left. Yeah. But I think that's just that's just a thematic thing. I think that that's just happenstance. Yeah. Well, and, and there's also the thing with the eyes. Uh, there's a way that Ridley Scott lights the eyes sometimes mm -hmm. of the replicants where it gives them like a reflection in their eyes. Yeah. And, uh, and he does that once for Deckard as well. And that's used as evidence that Deckard is, is a replicant. But you can also interpret that another way. You can interpret it as the replicants and the humans or the replicants and Deckard specifically, the Blade Runner, like are actually not that different. It doesn't mean that Deckard is definitely one of them. It just means that they're not that different, which is one of the ideas that is central to the movie that the replicants you know like they're they're basically people they're yeah. not you know they're not androids <laughs> i mean no, they are they're but they're not they're basically people um but you know so i don't really i'm not really invested in whether deckard is a replicant or not the romance if that's what you call it <laughs> between deckard and rachel uh feels mm -hmm. really forced and unconvincing um i and i'm not that invested in that and the movie just overall for the most part the movie feels flat and remote until that final confrontation with Deckard and Roy. And mm -hmm. that's when I become engaged. And, and this happens every time I watch the movie, I've, I've seen this movie and, and the various cuts of it. I don't know how many times, um, but every time I watch it, I'm kind of bored for most of it. It looks great, but I'm not really into the story. Um, mm -hmm. And then we get to that point when it's Roy chasing Deckard through that building and then out onto the roof. And, and that's for me, that's when the movie comes alive and I'm hooked and I am genuinely compelled by that scene every time I get there. Um, the fact it's the only time that they actually fully explore the premise. Yeah, and and well, and it just it does basic things right. It's a little bit like I'm going back to Battleship Potemkin again. Like there, the the way that the scenes are edited um, and shot, like it just reaches out and grabs you. And the mm -hmm. the fact that Deckard is so outmatched and is literally running for his life. And the movie establishes very clearly that if it comes down to, you know, mano a mano between Deckard and Roy, Deckard's not going to win. No. Like he's he's hurt. He's he's tired. He's he's scared. And At no if, point in that sequence does he ever have the upper hand. No. And if Roy gets him, that's it. Like that's it's so that's innately compelling. And, and Harrison Ford does a great job of playing that. 
of yeah. of playing Deckard's fear and desperation and just running for his life. Um, and it makes it a really compelling situation. And on the other side, there's Rutger Hauer just absolutely act overacting his ass off, like uh-huh. you know, sticking his head through the wall and making all these crazy lines and just and just absolutely going for it as Roy and going from like over the top almost borderline camp to kind of scary <laughs> uh-huh. and and then he finishes with that that monologue on the rooftop that is just heartbreaking and um roy is the only character in the movie who actually captures my interest um, he's the only one that has an arc he's the only one that has an arc he's the only one that has any kind of suggestion of real depth to him um functionally structurally he's the villain but his motivations are clear and easy to understand i want more life fucker <laughs> like how, what's 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 simpler than that um and and he actually feels dangerous Mm-hmm. which is a wonderful quality for a character to have. Um, Robert Mitchum's character, Harry Powell in Night of the Hunter feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh in No Country yeah. for Old Men feels that way. And and Rutger Hauer here has that same quality. He feels unpredictable. He feels uncontrollable. Um, and your eyes are just glued to him whenever he's on screen. You're just, it's like, I don't know what he's going to do. He could do anything. There, yeah. there's, there's limitless possibilities here. So, you know, he's great. The performance is great. That last sequence is absolutely fantastic. Um, I can't honestly say that Blade Runner is one of my favorite films, but is it a great film? I, yeah, I think it is. Um, is it a classic? Yeah, I think it is. Um, it is style over substance for for most of it, but mm-hmm. but the style is beautiful, and there is substance under there. It just doesn't come to the surface nearly enough. And when it does come to the surface at the end, and it I mean it really pulls itself together and becomes genuinely gripping in time yeah. for that that climax on the roof. Um, so when I finish the movie, I mean I'm always feeling good and I'm always glad that I watched it even though that absolutely atrocious voiceover does kind of take it down. Um, but overall... That's why I've not, I haven't watched that, yeah. the original theatrical cut in years. No, and I years mean, and we, years. We, were, we were talking... And yeah, this was... I watched the theatrical cut for this, and that, that was the first time I had watched the theatrical cut in a long time, too. And we were talking before we started recording. Um, if you take the theatrical cut and don't change a single frame of it, but just take out the narration. It is a marked improvement. Like, uh, I mean, the I, I, I tend to favor the final cut version because I, I really like the ending. I like how it ends with them getting on the elevator and then it just, uh, as the door closes, it abruptly cuts to black and that, like, I think that's a really good ending. Um, but even with the added footage from The Shining and the sort of, you know, driving into the sunlight thing um, that the movie doesn't really need, but whatever. Like, if you if you cut out the... the it explana- betrays the tone of the film. It does, but I mean, but if you cut out the explanatory voiceover where he's like, you know, Gaff had been there, but let her live. And, you know, and then it's like, boy, that, that really just takes it down a notch. Um, but yeah, it it's, it's, it's a terrific movie. It's a terrific movie. So there you go. Okay, so... Blade Runner. <laughs> There's no way to escape it. It was popular enough to, that they made a sequel. Granted, 30 years later. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, let's just go. The, the aesthetic, the cinematography, and the special effects still hold up. Mm-hmm. Which is something to say 
for a movie that is 40 years old. Right? Hell yeah. Um, and some people will view it and say, well, that's all it has. And I agree with Steve. The This movie's premise really doesn't take off until the very, very end. We don't get to spend enough time with the replicants prior to Decker encountering them and killing them for us to feel the impact of their deaths. Zora's death is in slow motion and it takes a long time. And we've only known that character for about three and a half minutes. Yeah, yeah. And I know that they're trying to make a point that, you know, it's basically what, what Decker does is he murders them, right? right. That's what he's doing. Um, but the bulk of this, it's not a traditional noir. There's no scheme. There's no real femme fatale. Not really. You know, there's no, you know, if he's, if he is supposed to be like the, the a noir main main character it's the first time that the noir main character's job is to run around and shoot people that's also not something that happens so there's a great deal in this movie where there are these beautiful shots inside of decker's inside of decker's apartment or going into jas bastion's hotel that are beautiful just literally beautiful well framed well lit moody as shit i mean just so fucking good but ultimately they don't mean anything to the plot right yeah and it feels like filler yeah you know there this is not a dialogue heavy the heavy movie there are bits of dialogue here and there but decker doesn't really talk a whole lot um again unless you count the narration (laughs) which harrison ford would prefer you didn't (laughs) and apparently he made the producers pee their pants because they were like, we need something in there. We need something in there so that people will pay attention. And it's like, well, the visuals are carrying it along. But we need more because people are dumb. <laughs> what are they supposed to do? Watch the movie with their yeah. eyes? Now, I catch what he's kind of trying to do in which he is juxtaposing, juxtaposing the lifelessness or just the, the, the shittiness of real people as compared to <laughs> as compared to the replicants. Yeah. Right? We keep getting scenes where Roy has to react to the death of his friends, right? Mm-hmm. When he comes in. And it's a great performance. Uh, the other guys, I don't know what they're going for, but Rucker Hauer seems to be the only person that is like, okay, I'm a replicant. These emotions are new. It's weird. It's like his relationship with Pris almost seems like they're teenagers. Yeah. They're not really certain how to kiss or how to process the feelings that they're having and Roy does that perfectly the other guys they're not in it enough for us to really give a shit about them Mm -hmm. I may actually give a shit about Leon there's like a couple of little hints where Roy's like did you get your your precious pictures and Leon's like no the cops were there and then he pops up and he's he's a fucking lunatic who's going to kill (laughs) Decker and they all have just reason to do it. He, Ridley Scott's not fucking around. He's like, we created intelligent, feeling creatures that are basically slaves that we use to either fuck, because Pris is a pleasure model, mm-hmm. when they said at the beginning, or we use them as, you know, soldiers mm-hmm. off-world. We needed more of that in there. We needed more character development in there. Shit, we needed more character development with with Decker. Oh, yeah, big time. Because Decker seems done. He seems like he, he has no life in him at all at the beginning of this movie. He's jaded, he's done, he's bored. But we're never, we're never get to discover why. 
I can kind of understand why they felt a need to put some of the voiceover in it, simply because we're never given a motivation for Decker at all. Why does he agree to take this job, right? Yeah. Is he broke? Is he just not working? Why did he leave in the first place? You know, I don't, in the in the thing, I think that it meant, in the voiceover mentions that it felt like murder to him or something like that. Yeah. Which does a disservice because now he's taking this job again to go back to murdering. <laughs> we needed something from Deckard so that we could get a clear idea of who he is and where he's from. But instead, he's just a guy with a gun, right? Yeah. And he goes through these things. We needed some character development from all of the characters. And the only one we got it from was Roy. And we get it. Roy's dying. He don't want to die. He loves life. And the, his entire existence has been a fuck you. And he don't like it. So we're kind of rooting for him in a weird way. You know, I don't feel bad when he crushes Tyrell's head. Oh, God, no. Because Tyrell is an arrogant prick who acts like a god. And he expects his creations to... I mean, it's, it's a Frankenstein um, comparison. Definitely. But, I mean... The, the the brief sequence that he gets to talk to him is, is great. And then the ending scene is great when Roy knows that he is going to die and he has no options. When he sees Pris dead, it's like he doesn't really quite... It's like he's trying to grieve, but he just can't hit it, right? Mm. Um, and that's great. And that's what I mean is this is the only time that they explore the premise. That maybe they are different from us. Maybe they don't have the ability to process the emotions that they're that they're now experiencing. But we don't get that. And what we do get are long shots of smoky rooms and flights over the city. And I can see why some of the earlier critics said this is all visuals over everything else. And that would be bad, except the visuals are great. <laughs> So if you want to learn about composition, you know, shot composition and stuff like that, this is a great movie. And, and I'm not surprised that they teach it in class because this is a great way to do a shot composition. It's just that academically it's great. Visually it's great. But it can't hold your attention. I don't know how many times I've seen this movie. Watching it twice before doing this review, I was falling asleep everywhere. <laughs> There's a whole lot of nothing that happens before he kills Zora. Like a whole lot of people wandering around a room, talking, and long pauses between the sentences, and shots of Harrison Ford staring at something or at nothing. <laughs> so while I will admit it is a great movie visually, and it has massive influence... It's one of those movies where, after you've seen it the first time, if you feel compelled to watch it again, great. But for me, it's lost. I've lost interest in it. I've mm -hmm. kind of like, I know what this has to say. I know what all these scenes are. I know, blah, 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 blah. So it's not going to be remembered as the astounding story. It's going to be remembered because it's just so fucking gorgeous that those images get stuck in your head. And apparently it wasn't just my head that they got stuck in when I was 13 years old. It got stuck in a lot of future filmmakers' heads. And overall, that's a good thing. If it can make, you know, you know, Villeneuve, uh, I can't ever pronounce his name. Villeneuve? What, how do you say it? Is it Villeneuve? Villeneuve? I'm not sure. The guy who made Dune. The guy who made the new Dune. But... The guy who made the new Dune. Um, and Blade Runner 20, or 2049, yeah. Yeah. If these are things that helped him become the filmmaker that he is now, great. I don't like the fact that this style 
got aped so much, especially in video games. It got aped a lot in video games, and it got aped by people who only had a $100,000 budget to make their uh, fucking Corman movie. And he's like, okay, we're going to darken all the sets, we're going to put a fan there, we're going to shine a light through it, we're going to get some smoke, and I'll have that Blade Runner feel. And it's like, no, it just looks cheap. I hate it. <laughs> You're not a cinematographer. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, recommend? Oh, definitely. Yeah, like I say, I, I it's it, it's a movie I admire more than I love, but I still admire mm-hmm. it a lot. I mean, so. Yeah, like, yeah, me too. Me too. Hey, Steve, it's yeah, time man. for you to not recommend something. Please uh, do it. I do have something to not recommend. Uh, you mentioned cyberpunk as one of the uh, uh, styles that this movie helped to popularize. Mm-hmm. There's a cyberpunk movie from the 90s, too. No, there isn't. Yeah, there, what are you talking about? Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. And it stars Keanu Reeves. Don't don't bring that up. And I like dolphins. And it stars Dolph Lundgren, too. <laughs> And it's called. Just say the name. And it's called. Just say it. It's called Johnny M. Mnemonic. <laughs> no, it's called Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny Mnemonic, yeah. It's not a good movie. Get out. It's, people love that movie. Uh, some people do, but those people are wrong. Um, <laughs> it's. It's a really, really dumb action movie starring Keanu Reeves as a guy who is a uh, like a digital courier. A, a living thumb drive. Yeah, it, basically. Yeah, he has like information in his head that he needs to deliver. And yeah, because that's the future. Human mm-hmm. human thumb drives is the future. But anyway, <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's like an action chase kind of movie. It's not good at all. It has a really, really terrific cast. I mean, in addition to Keanu Reeves and Dolph Lundgren, it's got Takeshi Kitano and Henry Rollins mm. and Udo Kier, one of my favorite actors. I always love to see Udo Kier in something. He's always in the worst fucking movies. Yeah. <laughs> but he is. But I love seeing him. So Udo Kier is in it. Um, Dina Meyer who you might remember from Starship Troopers um she's in it's a, so it's a, it's a great cast but just a really really shitty movie um but it does definitely have that sort of futuristic dystopian cyberpunk type aesthetic uh that it owes a lot to Blade Runner 4 but unfortunately mm-hmm. it's just not as good as Blade Runner and really it has a dolphin in and huh it has a dolphin in it. Oh, that's right. It does. Yes. <laughs> it has a cyber dolphin. It has a cyber dolphin in it too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so uh, there you go. That is my that is my not recommendation. If you watch Blade Runner and you're thinking, man, I want some more cyberpunk stuff. Well, just don't. Just find something else. Don't do it. Don't watch Johnny Mnemonic. My turn. Do it. Hey, everybody. As you guys know, my dog came up here to interrupt me broadcast. Hi, dog. Um... <laughs> As you guys know, I like to uh, not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, and it's 1982. And a movie came out that has kind of become a cult classic, and I don't know why, because the acting is terrible, the plot is stupid, and I hate everything about it. The movie that I'm not going to recommend is called Liquid Sky. Oh, I've never seen that. Good. You want to know what it's about? What's it about? Um, Okay, so there's this group of club people who can't act, and they... uh, (laughs) And uh, a spaceship lands on top of the apartment <laughs> complex where some of these these people who can't act live, and uh, the spaceship aliens extract um, endorphins um, f- out of people's heads when they have uh, an orgasm, okay. and it makes the people uh, shrivel up into tinfoil and disappear or die, <laughs> and um, the main characters all like coke and doing drugs 
and doing photo shoots and some people have attributed this movie to the popularity of the club aesthetic in the 1980s i don't give a shit this movie is a fucking dumpster fire of no one with talent working behind it's the acting is fucking atrocious and it has fun things in it like the fact that the main character the woman never has an orgasm so she's safe because you know she has a tendency to get raped a lot and also that their people have sex with her and they shrivel up in tinfoil and then the ending because i don't give a shit it's free on youtube if you want to watch this garbage pile um you at the ending she shoots herself up with heroin as the aliens are leaving because she wants them to take her she wants them to take her with them and so when she does that she has a massive or- orgasm and she gets beamed up into the ship the end don't see it it's garbage don't see it it's garbage wow <sighs> and it was made for five hundred thousand dollars well yeah that explains some so, some of it <laughs> yeah that explains some of it Wow. It's just bad. It's just you can take any three seconds of dialogue and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> hey, Steve. Yes, my friend. It's that time. Oh, uh, it's time for me. It's time to... for you to make a terrible choice. Oh shit! Okay. As you guys probably know, I pick three movies at random and I make Steve select which movie it is. He does not know what these movies are. And uh, I'm going to give you this much. They're 80s teen films. Oh, boy. So all the choices are bad choices. <laughs> I can't go right. Steve has to pick A, B, or C. So Steve, A, B, or C. I'm going to say C. You'll be happy. Oh, good. Well, at least I'll be I, happy. I won't. Oh, oh well. Had Steve chosen A, we would have watched... The extraordinarily problematic Revenge of the Nerds. Ooh, yeah. Had he chosen B, he would have watched what was trend in the 1980s of teenage boys having sex with adult women, and it's okay! (laughs) (laughs) We would have watched Risky Business. Ah, yes. But he chose C, a movie that I know that he's been wanting to review for a very long time because he loves it. Oh. We're going to see how much he loves it as we rewatch and review The Karate Kid. Oh, fuck yes. <laughs> yes. Get him a body bag. Remember, kids, beating people up is a solution to everything. It's the solution to all life's problems. <laughs> So, if you want to get all the jokes, then please watch The Karate Kid before our next podcast. And that's it. We're done. Blade Woo-hoo. Runner is done. It's in our sack full of dunzos. <laughs> For late seating, this has been Jason Harding. Go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives. Always remember the last words my father ever heard. You'd better get it up or I'm going to have to kill you. Wait. Uh, Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> wait. Wait. What? 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 Huh? Oh, those were the. How la- do you know these were the last words your father ever heard? Oh, I was in the next room. Who was saying that? We don't. It's just immaterial. What do you mean it's immaterial? The last words that you know your father ever heard was, "You better get it up, or I'm gonna have to kill you." Yes. Or I'm gonna have. Was it a male voice? Was it a female voice? It's, you know what? No charges were ever filed, and um, so. Your dad's alive. Is he? 
<laughs> yes, I know for a fact he is. Did he go deaf right after that? How do you know that? I... Oh, you know what? What? Oh, it wasn't my father. Who was it then? No, no, it was... It was my middle school principal. Okay, so this opens up a whole jar of other questions, Steve. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you know that was the last thing you remember your middle school principal hearing? Oh, oh, it was... um, He had come over to my house. Okay. And, of course, you know, he was having trouble... In his marriage. Getting it up. In his marriage. And okay. His wife okay. showed up and was quite irate. And, uh, uh-huh. you know. And one, she killed him in front of you. One thing led to another. Saying? Well, not directly in front of me. I mean, like I said, I was in the next room. What? Okay. I, so, I overheard well, the shouts. At some point, you said, excuse me, principal of my middle school. Yeah, Miss, Mr. I Klein. Need, yes, Mr. Klein. Mr. Klein, yeah. I need to go into another room. And while you were gone, his wife came over, shouted, you better get it up. <laughs> Or I'm going to kill you, uh-huh. and killed him. Yep. Uh, presumably, again, I did not actually witness it. But you heard her voice. I heard her voice say, "You'd better get it up, or I'm going to have to kill you." Yes, yes, yes. So if he had gotten it up, would they have fucked in your living room, or was he in your bedroom at the time that this yeah, happened? Yeah, he was in. They were in my bedroom, and and I was in the bathroom, which was right next to it. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Now. Can you say, in your own words, uh-huh. the best parts about your mother? She was a good cook. You're failing this void comp test, dude. You're failing it. She was... You're supposed to just shoot me. That's she... how we know you're an android. If I, we ask you about me... your mother, you're supposed to become irate and kill people. Let me tell you about my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.